we've been walking through this series just simply saying, who are we as a church? And, and, and what's our call? What's, what's our God-given mandate um, to do here on earth? Why in the world do we come here week after week? And, and what is this thing we call church? What are we supposed to be and what are we supposed to do? And that's what we've been trying to answer in this series called The Church. And, and we've been using this, this picture frame. Uh, it's kind of our reference of, of what we're to be, kind of a visual aid to, to help us. And, and this picture frame that we've been developing, we said at the, the top of the frame, this is sort of our goal, our, our aim, our, our target uh, from Scripture. Paul said, everything I do is for this one end, and that's to present everyone complete in Christ. That every single person on the face of planet Earth would know Jesus as their Savior, as their Lord, that they would follow Him and obey Him and be completely formed into the image of our Jesus. It's all about the person of Jesus. And then we said, okay, well, what's the picture in the frame, though? Like, those are just words. What's this supposed to look like? And we said, we use for our vision, we simply use the logo that we've been, as our church logo, for over 20 years. And it's a group of people that are gathered around the cross of our Lord Jesus. And our vision statement for our church is that we want to be a gospel-centered community, a group of people gathering around who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And in that community, our task that Jesus said to his disciples before he left, go into the world and make disciples of all nations. We are a gospel-centered community called the reproduced disciples of Jesus. We said, that sounds great, but how do we do that? The sides of the frame are going to help kind of guide us, make sure we're coloring within side the lines here. And last week, we started talking about the method. How do we go about reproducing disciples in a gospel-centered community? And we looked at three things. We said that we are to, and sorry for the small font up there, but it's, we are called to engage a lost community. And we talked about that last week. And then this week, we'll talk about equipping a, a loving community and then empowering a living community. We're going to talk about the second two of those today. But last week, if you weren't here with us or you were, to remind us, we said that our first call, the first step in reproducing disciples is to engage our lost community. We said that Jesus, when he came and modeled for us on earth what what life should look like as a follower of him, what did he do? He was a, a friend of sinners. He went into the darkness and befriended the lost sheep of Israel, of this world. And we said, similarly, that's what we're called to do, is to go into our worlds. And so the three challenges we gave last week was, number one, to think of three people in your life that don't know Jesus, and to be praying for them every single day. I challenge you to do that. Write them down on a list of paper somewhere, or on your smartphone, and have a reminder. I forget, so I put things in my smartphone. And it beeps at me. Hey, pray for these three. And then we said, not just to pray for them, but also to, to be present in the life of, of those three people you're praying for, and the lives of your coworkers, of your family and friends who don't know Jesus. Are you rolling up your sleeves and getting dirty with them? Are you living life with them? And then thirdly, not just the goal is not just to be a friend of sinners, but ultimately to present Jesus in the words we say, and probably more important, the way that we live. Are we presenting Jesus to the people that don't know him in our community? That's our call. But then let's say, what's the next step? The lost is found. The power of the gospel saves people. Now they're in in the fold. Now what? Where do we go from here? And that's what we want to look at uh, today. Because the goal, we said the goal of discipleship is not just to to have a baby Christian and just leave him as a baby. Remember we said, just like when when you make real babies, right? You don't just have a baby and sweet, you leave him at the hospital and good luck with all that. 
right? The, the goal is, is not just to have a spiritual baby, but to have someone fully formed and mature, complete in Christ. Just like the goal is not to have a baby, but to present a mature adult, right? Just like me, right? That's the, that's the end game, right? Christ-likeness. Um, so, so how do we do this? Well, this is the next two steps of this three-step process. We engage, and then we equip, and we empower. So let's talk about that. Anybody seen Mythbusters here? Love Mythbusters. We've got, they got a new cast, which is not quite as mustachioed. Uh, that kind of bums me out a little bit. But um, one of my favorite episodes is they proved, they busted the myth that running in the rain will keep you drier than walking through it. They said, not true. And I'm like, sweet. As someone that hates running, right? I'm watching all these suckers run by me to seek shelter. And I'm just waddling along, all right? You're wetter than I am, right? Just kind of, that's how it is. Um, there are a lot of myths in our lives that need busted. What we want to look at this morning is three myths. We're going to look at Mythbusters Discipleship Edition, okay? And three myths. The first one is this, the myth of mentoring. The myth that we can often believe is that my pastor's job is to minister to me. They serve me. They meet my needs. And what this does, this myth takes us back to spiritual baby land, where the pastor or the elder, they're here to spoon-feed all the little baby Christians, little Bible verses, here it comes, here comes the airplane, vroom, right? And we just kind of serve you, and you're just a bunch of little baby birds. This is a freaky picture, isn't it? Right? That's not what we're called to. That is, that's that's a, the myth of, of mentoring. This turns the, the, the elders or the leaders of the church into these superheroes uh, spiritually, and it turns the regular Christians into this passive audience. They just kind of sit there, and if you felt like you were fed today, then you will clap for us, and if you were not fed, then you will boo us, and maybe even throw a tomato at us, right? That's not the relationship that, that we have, according to Scripture. That's the myth of mentoring. Secondly, the myth of ministry. This myth says that I'm not ready to be used by God yet. This myth has, has convinced most Christians that I'm not qualified to do ministry. I'm not qualified to serve people. I don't know enough Bible verses. I skipped half of Sparky's, right? I, I, don't, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to serve people. I don't know how to preach the gospel to somebody. There's no way that I am qualified to do whatever. You're, I'm too sinful. I, I'm too busy. Whatever. Just insert that excuse in right there. And I say, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to do the kind of work that God calls people to do. Third myth is the myth of maturity. And this myth says no one should minister, no one should serve until they're mature. Okay, and this myth, it tells us, man, even before you should even think about discipling someone or, or serving other people, that, that what you need to do is go through like Bible boot camp. You need to go to seminary. You need to go to like 28 different classes. You need to have certificates just plastered all over your wall. And then you can start thinking about serving other people because now you're a mature Christian. That's the myth of maturity. And if, if we want to become the kind of church, the wiki church that we talked about yesterday, last week from the Wikipedia model, where every believer is a disciple, then we've got to bust these myths. And, and the best myth-busting device that I know is, is the Bible. And we want to look at God's word, look at Ephesians chapter 4. And if there's anybody who knew how to, how, how, the, the, the lies that we just put up there, it's, it's the Apostle Paul. Because this guy, he was persecuting followers of Jesus. And then days afterward, not years, days afterward, he's already preaching the gospel to people, starting to make disciples. And, and this apostle, this is, this is what he said. He said, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, like church planners, 
The, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and, and teachers, the shepherds. The, who, who are these? These are the leaders of the church. He says he, he gifted the church with, with certain people that are leaders. Now, not everybody is going to be one of these leaders. But then this is, this is, this is what he says next. He identifies these gifts of leadership. Now, now, pay close attention here. He says their responsibility is to do God's work. Hmm? No, we skipped a part. Their responsibility is to equip God's people, to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. He doesn't say that the leaders are the only ones doing God's work. He says the purpose of the leaders is to equip God's people. Who are God's people? You guys, all of us. He says that's the call. And then, then he says, verse 13, this will continue, this equipping of God's people and the doing of God's work, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that, and here's the end game, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete nerd of Christ. What does that sound like? It sounds like our purpose statement. To present everyone complete in Christ. Here's how it, 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 it works. Leaders equipping God's people to serve and do his work. And that process leads us all to maturity together through the power of Jesus. So what we need to do this morning, we're going all the way back to the basics. We're going to learn to count. And I brought a friend along with me. <laughs> he will help us learn how to count this morning. And we go back to Ephesians 4. How do we normally count? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, right? Everybody on board with me so far, right? My, my two-year-old niece can count to 13, so you all should be able to as well. It's 11, 12, 13. Same people, they go in order, right? 11, 12, 13. But what happens is we often get these verses out of order. So how we should count them is, is this. Verse 11 says there's leaders. Then 12 comes next. Those leaders equip the church to serve then 13, right? The church becomes mature. That's how we ought to count, but most of the church world counts out of order. And we say 11 leaders skip to 13, become mature, then we go back to 12 and say then they minister. This is not the way that Jesus outlined things for our church to grow. It's not after we have some professional degrees hanging on our walls that then we're ready to go and do what God has called us to do. We, look at, we, we bust these myths. I want us to look at these three truths. Look at the truths according to Ephesians chapter 4. The truth of mentoring is this, that a pastor's job, the leader's job, elders' jobs are to equip the people to minister. The central job of, the, of leadership here at Peninsula Grace is not just to do the work, but to equip every single believer at Peninsula Grace to go and to do what? To go engage the lost to go make disciples, to go love people, to go share our faith, to serve each other, to serve this lost community, to serve to the nations beyond. That's our job. That's, that's the truth of mentoring. Then let's look at the truth of, of ministry. The truth of ministry is God wants to use you as you are today. And I cannot underline that enough times. See, see this might terrify some of us because, again, we believe the myth that we're not ready. Terrified somebody and do a hiccup. That's crazy. And we believe that, man, listen, no matter how many Bible verses you have memorized right now, even if you, shh, even if you cussed in the way to church today, there's healing for you, there's forgiveness for you, and God will still use us in the midst of our imperfections. He wants to use us today. In fact, that leads us to the truth of maturity. 
If we waited until every single Christian was mature, until they served, our church would be empty. It would be empty. In fact, you know the classic, the chicken or the egg? Which came first, the chicken or the egg, right? Read Genesis, it's the chicken, but that's another message. What's, what, what's the truth is, the truth of ministry is, is which came first? Do we, do, we, do we become mature, perfect people, and then we start serving or do we, do we actually serve? And in that process, the truth is that ministry leads to maturity. It's as we're doing God's work in motion, faith in action. It's that process that actually grows us and matures us. We've got to remember to count 11, 12, 13. Leaders equip the people to do God's work, and that process leads us to complete in Christ. So let's, let's look at these two steps, the, the, the equipping... Uh, church, that, that uh, equipping, equipping a, a loving community. I want us to go back to that. Remember we talked about the sports analogy of a coach? Okay, we, we use this analogy. If you're a sports person, great. If you're not, sorry, we're going we're gonna to be here for a minute. But leaders, we said that leaders in the church, they're not just players. Okay, this is me playing basketball in high school. We're not just players. That we are actually coaches that, that are called to coach players. That's the role of leadership in, in the church. The body of Christ is made up of players being coached. We said they are not primarily cheerleaders, okay? No matter how long a cheerleader leads cheers, that does not make them better at their sport. Okay, my mom, the one that's in the, the background there, she, uh, she was a football cheerleader as well as a basketball cheerleader. She told me that for years she was cheerleading for football. They had this cheer. First and ten, do it again. First and ten, do it again. And her entire high school career, leading those cheers, she had no idea what that even meant. <laughs> she kept spurring them on. She was cheering her little heart out, but she had no idea what she was saying, right? Because leading the cheers, it doesn't make you better at that sport. It doesn't give you more knowledge about the sport, apparently. And it, doesn't, it certainly doesn't make you better at the sport. Why? Because you're literally on the sidelines cheering. You're not practicing. You're not working, getting better at the sport. And the same is true with even the players, right? Like if, if a coach just showed their players what to do and never actually had them practice, the, the player would never get better. Here, kid, you stink. Get out of the way. I'll play. Give me your jersey. I'll just play the game for you, knuckleheads. None of you know what you're doing. I'll just play the game. Your team would never get better. They would never get better. A good coach on day one shows how to do a proper layup, right? Inside foot outside hand, right? Knee, elbow, on a string, right? You walk them through the process, so you, you kind of model it a few times, and then you immediately, let's make two lines, and let's start practicing layups. And in that process of practice, they get better. It's not just stand on the sidelines and watch me for an hour and take some good notes. Got to practice. We had a kid when I was coaching in high school who had never attempted a layup in his entire life, and he gets out there, and it was his turn, and when he went up, like, it looked like he was having a seizure. I don't even know, like, how body parts could move in those directions, and I'm like, do I call the ER? Like, what's, are you okay? Like, what's, what's going on? But what I didn't do is, you're out, go home, and walk home, and it's wintertime, right? Like, no, like, come over here, like, all right, come, come, let's go on the other side of the court, while the kids with coordination are practicing on that end, right? Inside foot, outside hand. Now you come along me and I'll kind of, you know, okay, now you try it. And we just kind of broke it down and walked him through it until he got to the point where he could make a proper layup. Teams will only attain basketball maturity by doing it, by practicing. We, it's ministry unto maturity. 
I don't wait until my team is awesome at basketball and then let them practice. That doesn't even make sense. So just like the equipping coach, we have the equipping church. Now hear me on this. When, when, when a baby Christian comes into the fold, just like, just like your baby, right? You start them out on breast milk, right? You start them, they start out with milk. You don't give your, 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 one, your, your, your one day old a, a steak to gnaw on, right? It's not going to go well. They start out on milk. They've got to know the foundations. And, and, and baby Christians, they have to start with the basic foundations, right? Just like a house, a good house cannot be built on improper foundations. That, that's not going to end well for that house, right? <laughs> and, and we bring a, a, a baby Christian in the fold. They have to start on milk. We have to teach them the gospel. And this, this comes primarily through the teaching of God's word by the power of God's spirit. And then that's why on Sunday mornings we teach God's word. That's what we're doing here. And that's why for, the, for 52 weeks, we, we went through the story of, of God's word to say, man, what is his story? How do we make sense of this Bible? And where do we fit in into that story? And after we're done with this series and after Easter, we're going to take a trip through Romans that talks about the power of the gospel and shows in, in ways that we've never seen in any other letter, any other writing in history. It breaks down what, what salvation, what the, what the gospel means for the life and growth of a believer. We have to put a house on firm foundations. But, but, as truth is learned and being applied, we must simultaneously be engaging people into active ministry, into the practice of their ministry. We have a team right now that meets Thursday mornings over at my house, the preaching team. They help make sure that I don't preach heresy to you on, Thursday mor- uh, on Sunday mornings, right? And part of what we're talking about is, man, how do we, how do we equip and one of the things I think we're currently lacking at our church is to how do we go a little bit deeper into this and some biblical training to, to train people, to equip people, to, to know God's word in a way that not just the head knowledge, but that they can actually go out and teach other people, as we'll, as we'll get to. And we're, we're working toward that. We believe this is a call. But as we are teaching, we're simultaneously engaging people into ministry because it cannot just be, right? What, what does practice look like? Again, practice is not just a coach doing layups. It cannot be the pastor or the elders doing spiritual layups. Here, you all watch me. I'll evangelize, I'll teach, I'll love other people, and everybody else just watches. You're never going to grow like that. The only way someone can mature is that they're actually practicing. And I remember being put into leadership positions way before I felt completely ready, right? I mean, look at, look at this guy right here. Do I look ready to do anything profitable, right? I'm the one in the backwards yellow hat with the guitar. Here I am in high school, okay? And as a youth, as a youth group member, I remember uh, some of the, the youth leaders asking me to teach a lesson to the youth group. And I got up, and I, it just freaked me out, right? And I took everything I knew about the Bible, put it on one piece of paper. It didn't, didn't take much for me as a 16-year-old. I made it like size three font so I could fit everything on there. Got up in front of the youth group, terrified. Had the paper like three inches from my face, sped read it in like eight minutes and sat down. Everyone's just kind of like looking at each other. It was kind of my version of the seizure layup, right? Everyone's just like, what was that, right? Like, that was awful, right? And, and what did our youth leaders do? Get out, Satan, right? Like, you're terrible. Never again. No, they pulled me aside. No, no, Justin, inside foot, outside hand, right? Here, reduce it a little bit. Here, you said this, and that was kind of like anti-biblical, uh, but no, let's reduce it a little bit, pull out some information, give me three main points, right? You don't need to say everything in one, you know, they worked me through it, and, and hopefully I'm better today than I was when I was 16 years old. You can leave a comment card afterward. Um, 
We're not saying, and hear me on this, we're not saying we put a, a, a person in the pulpit a week after they're saved. No, no, clearly. I mean, to build up toward these, these areas, and the goal is not just for everybody to be a pastor. There are a lot of ways to serve. But it's got to start. And in fact, I believe that the best evangelists are those who just got saved. Someone who just, just met Jesus and turns around and goes, hey, do you know Jesus? I just met him, and you've got to know him. Now, they don't know, they don't know how to do everything, but they, they, they start. Right? We've got to engage people from day one. And, and this is why, in equipping, it starts, it starts with, with our youth and with our children. I found this picture of me. I was, this is me buried underneath a pile of kids. There's little Maddie. And I'm teaching these, these, this child, these children on this children's church. There's Ali Ostrander, our future Olympian. That's an eight-year-old behind me, all right? And, and, and I would, as, a, as a college intern, I would teach the, the children next door. And we have to know, with our own children, to be engaging them immediately as they're growing into how to serve other people, how to give generously, how to share their faith, to know their faith. Are we inviting our children into the ministry that God's called us into? Appropriate for their age level, right? It's, it's growing. It's, it's, a, it's a maturity but I remember back to basketball, and if you've got a kid in high school that didn't know the fundamentals, and they were up a creek, right? I mean, you can only do so much with them. You, that's why we actually cook inlet. We started a basketball camp for, for younger kids, the elementary kids, because that's when their muscle memory is still forming, and they can, they can make, they can develop good habits. Like for us, we've got to be equipping our children and our youth now, instilling discipleship habits into their lives today. And Paul talked about this growth, this growth trend in, in, in Ephesians chapter 5. He said, you have been believers so long that you ought to be teaching others. He goes, what are you doing still on milk? He goes, instead, someone, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. He goes, it's one thing for a baby to drink milk. But where you're at now, you should not still be on milk, right? Like as a 33-year-old, brother needs a steak, right? I cannot subsist and grow if I'm just drinking milk still, if I'm not serving, if I'm not teaching other people. This is what we're called to. So leaders, let me ask you, are you spending more of your time just serving or equipping others to serve? Because it can be easily, in ministry, it's so easy to do this, we can be the coach that shoves the players out of the way and go, I'll do it my way. It's a control issue. This is the way it needs to be done. And if I pass it off to someone else, they're going to mess it up. So I'll do it. You watch. And if all we're doing is ministering and we're not equipping, we're robbing other people. Because it's better to give than receive. And we're actually stunting their growth unto maturity. Remember, we talked about the 2 Timothy 2.2. And because of that, we call it the 2-2 train, Right? we got to get on board the tutu train. We had Paul and Timothy and the relationship they had with one another. And Paul, he wrote this, this letter to Timothy and he said, you heard me teach things. You watched me. Remember, I do, we do, you do. You watched me. Now, Timothy, you're ready. Go and teach these truths to other people. And he didn't just teach Timothy so that he could teach others. He taught Timothy to teach others who will be able to pass them on to others. Teach others who can teach others who can teach others. And this is an entire mindset shift we need as a believer. It's not just about serving other people. It's about being a process, in process of equipping others to serve who can equip others to serve. So, so worship leaders, let me ask you. The question is not just are you leading worship on Sunday mornings, but are you discipling future worship leaders? Not just, hey, we filled up the band today, 
It's, hey, I wanted to show you, you know, one of the younger ones. Hey, let me show you how I put the service together. Next week, we can do that together. And then, you know, a couple months down the road, of you put the service together. We'll work on how you, you know, go through transitions and how you can pray and bring in scripture. Walk, take them into the kitchen. Show them how the process works. Sunday school teachers. A lot of them are next door. Sunday school teachers, right? We'll try to get their attention. It's not just am I teaching, but am I bringing those alongside me? I love that we have younger kids helping next door with our teachers. They're learning. It's being modeled before them. And those are the future Sunday school teachers. You're not just teaching, but are you teaching others how to teach? Those of you that are really good at evangelism, just naturally share your faith with other people. Not just are we doing evangelism, but are we bringing alongside other people in those relationships? You get together with one of your unbelieving friends, bring on another brother or sister in the church to do that with you, to show them what engaging looks like, how to share your faith in action, Not not in a Sunday school vacuum, but in action. And this has got to start at the top. This is, if I'm not applying this to myself, if leaders in the church aren't doing this, it's not going to trickle down. So I have to ask myself, am I, are we, like as elders, leaders, teachers, are we equipping future shepherds, leaders, pastors? This isn't just about me preaching. It's a failed model. If I never pass it along. That's why Robbie, don't tell him, but that's kind of what we're working towards with Robbie. And a couple years down the road, I'd love him to receive one of the, one of the preaching team members here on a consistent basis. That's, that's where we're going. But the hardest part, I don't know how many of you guys have 14-year-olds or around there. Two of the most terrifying words known to parents of 14-year-olds. Learner's permit, right? Handing over the keys to your 14-year-old. Terrifying. But the next, the second part of this, third, third part of this process is empowering. Handing over the keys. Handing over the keys. Greatest basketball program of all time. Duke University, Blue Devils. Greatest coach of all time, Mike Krzyzewski. If you want to argue with me, I will go out of the parking lot and we'll take it to the death, right? <laughs> it's non-negotiable. No. Um, and one of the things that I love about Coach K is that he doesn't just coach players. He coaches coaches. And you see this picture here, the two guys on his right and the guy on his left, those are former players of his. And he walked them through the I do, we do, you do model. And at first, I do. They watched him coach as his players. Now we do. And right now, they're alongside of Coach K. They're coaching with him. And one day, oh, Coach K is going to retire. This is one of the saddest days of my life. And when he steps out of the program, one of them will step up and be the new Coach K. And we've got to have this mentality in the church that not only should we be equipping Timothys, but we're empowering our future Pauls. And whatever you're doing, you should be thinking about how do I work myself out of this job eventually? You should start day one with a succession plan. How do I bring other people? How do I bring these Timothys alongside and then empower these Timothys to become Pauls? Again, you think about the tutu train, the word to get on board. Jesus was the engine, right? He's the head of this church. He is the power. He's the foundation. Then Jesus, what did he do? He equipped and empowered over the course of three years these 12 men. He looked at Peter and said, on this rock, Peter meant rock. He said, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And then he, he sent them to make disciples of all nations. And so Peter brought along Paul, and, and Paul goes to the nations. And before you know it, over the course of 2,000 years, this tutu train, we've been passing along what has been taught by Jesus to others who can teach others who can teach others. And our call today is do not be the caboose. Do not be where this ends. 
Who are we passing it along to who can then pass it along to the next generation? Leaders, we have to train, pun intended, and then get out of the way and let the next generation lead. And that can be hard. It can be very hard. But what is it that we're, what are, what are we empowering them to do? And, and hear me on this. This is not just to do more church activity, to have them run programs. So programs have their place. Church ministry activity has its place. But what are we empowering people to do? We said last week when we, we took a, a, little, a little zoom out of the Kenai Peninsula, said, man, there's, there's easily more than 20,000 people within an easy driving uh, distance from us today that do not know Jesus. And what we need to be empowering every disciple in this church to do is how to go out and engage and equip and empower. You see, if there's seven elders here at the church, and if it's just us doing all the evangelizing, all the loving, all the ministering, that's going to be addition, and that's, that's not going to work. We don't want addition, we want multiplication. And that's only going to happen when every believer is a part of the discipling process. That's how we talked about Wikipedia, to, to engage the, the non-professionals and to equip them to go out and empower them to go out to engage and equip and empower. And not just our area, but to every tongue, tribe, and nation. There are still thousands of language groups today that have never heard the name of Jesus. And if we're going to reach the whole world, then the church of Jesus Christ needs to be multiplying, not adding. And when we talk about equipping and empowering, you think about like Siamese twins. Siamese twins are not the same, and yet they are connected to each other. Equipping and empowering are not the same thing, but they go hand in hand. Because think about it, if we equip without empowering, what happens? We're just putting a bunch of head knowledge into people's, into people's brains, right? And filling them up with facts. That leads to spiritual arrogance. If all we're doing is saying, here's what you need to know, but then never giving that a place to grow, it's stagnation, right? But on the other hand, if we empower without equipping, we're going to send out heretics, right? These rogues, that's a good way to start a cult, is to send people out without the proper foundations, without equipping them in the process. That's why I do, we do, then you do. That's got to be the, the process. We've got to think about it this way. As, as we look at our church, I, I call this the 80-20 principle. Our barometer for church health, on, it cannot be how many people came on Sunday morning? And I'll tell you, as a, pr- a pastor, that's an easy way to do it, the proud way. How many people came this week? All right, we're doing good. It's not Sunday morning att- uh, attendance. It can't be. So here, here's the principle. 80-20 principle says this, that typically 20% of the people in the church do 80% of the work. 20% of the people, there's always this core group of committed people. On average, you go to most churches, and you get 20% of the people doing 80% of the ministry, teaching equipping, loving, making disciples. And that's not our goal here at Peninsula Grace, to become a healthy church. We want, next year, I want us to be 70-30, and then 60-40. And before you know it, what's the end goal? Presenting everyone complete in Christ? That 100% of us have been called into, and therefore 100% of us are involved in making disciples of all nations. That's the goal. Now, growing and, and serving is going to look different for everybody. We're the body of Christ. We all have different parts. The goal is not just to get everybody to come up here and take their turn preaching on Sunday mornings or leading worship on Sunday mornings or teaching a Sunday school class. As many people as there are, there's many different ways to serve. Your different areas of influence, your passions, your God-given spirit-given gifts. But we're all called into ministry. And that's why, to engage every believer, we cannot build a church around a cult of personality. And here's what I mean by that. 
this church cannot be built around one superhero, this guy, right? <laughs> you remember this from our His Story series? If we just look at, at this one guy, that it's his job, listen, if we're just attracting people who like Justin's Sunday morning service uh, sermons or, or they like the, the worship that we, that we, that we do here every, every week, then we can fill up a room of spectators. We can do that. But that's not God's call into our lives. We are not interested in, in an audience. We're interested in an army. An army of disciple makers who are being equipped and empowered to go engage and equip and empower. And if we're going to do that, it's not going to be built. I'm Justin Frankino, not Jesus Frankino. There's one foundation. There is one head of this church that every other believer follows and grows into the likeness of. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3 very clearly, no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, and that's Jesus Christ. He's our foundation. He's our head. We are disciples of him. So how do we how do we do this? There's a lot of different ways to do this. One of the key key venues that we have here at, at church is is what we call home groups. And um, remember, we said you can't one another in rows. Like while you're sitting here in rows, we, we can't love one another. We can't serve one another while we're just sitting looking looking forward. We need to be called into community with each other. That's what we've been called into. And I think even better than meeting with each other one-on-one is, is, is meeting together in groups. And so one of the things we do here, we have, we have home groups. These were from a home group a few years back. Getting together in people's homes. Most home groups meet on a weekly basis. We have a meal together. We pray together. We are in God's word together. It gets messy together. There's going to be fighting. Whenever you bring a group of sinners together, it's going to get messy. But it's this beautiful mess that Christ is redeeming and purifying. And in this process, what's happening? The younger are learning from the older how to pray, how to study God's word, how to show hospitality as you open your home to other people. It's disciple making in action. And, and, and right now, man, we, we've, got, we've got four home groups. I would love to see that this next year double. As we, as we just, it's not just Christianity in the comfort of your own home. This is part of the Great Commission, right? We want to be in these home groups, serving, equipping people to go out and plant new home groups, Right? And, and, and then train other people in those home groups to go out and engage and equip and empower. Now, this is not the only way to be a part of disciple-making and small, and, and small group life. This is one of the ways. And back on the, on the welcome table, I invite you to see that after the service. We've got times and places where people meet. Man, I just, if God's calling you into that community, don't, don't delay. Go back there today and see how you can get plugged in to this process. But land in the plane. We think about this 2-2 train. Maybe you're here this morning and you're going, man, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> That's how a lot of us feel. I don't know how to share my faith. I don't know the Bible. I don't even know if I can find Genesis, right? I don't know anything. I don't know, I don't know how to pray. I don't, I don't, let alone how to make disciples. I don't even know what you're talking about. Well, I challenge you this morning. Are you pursuing a Paul? Is there someone you know, you've seen here at church that, man, you go, I, I, want, I, want, to, I want to know, get to know. invite that person to, to, pro, to coffee. Somebody you know that, seems, that loves Jesus, that seems to be, you know, following him, and just sit down with them or invite them over to your guys' home for dinner or just talk to them after the service and just, hey, I'd love to, just to meet with you, talk with you, learn, learn from you a little bit, imitate them as they imitate Christ. Pursue a Paul in your life. Someone you can follow. It's not a perfect person. Or then maybe, maybe you're on the other end of things. Maybe you are a ministry machine. You've been serving Jesus since you were like in the womb somehow. And yet you're being a caboose. And you're not equipping other people to serve. Let me ask you this question. Are you training a Timothy? 
Are you bringing Timothys along and, and equipping them to be able to work yourself out of that job and empower them to do what you're doing someday? Then they can go and empower others to do the same thing. Are we pursuing Pauls and are we training Timothys? And you notice this is about relationship. We're not going to have a discipleship program here. This is messy relationship founded on God's word and the power of God's spirit. So developing these kind of Paul and Timothy relationships in the context of the church. That's what we're called to. This is the way. As we engage, equip, and empower. This is Jesus' method that he left for us when he was on earth of how we're going to make disciples of all nations and present everyone complete in Christ. Let's pray. Father, you've called us to a good work. It's a hard work. It's a messy work. But you have not just called us to get a Jesus stamp on our forehead so we can wait here until we go to heaven when we die. You've called us into this beautiful, messy ministry of making disciples. And, and, and I pray that people in this room, that they would, they would lean into the Spirit's prodding this morning. And if, if there's someone that needs to pursue a Paul, that they would do so and find someone they could follow, learn how to, to read your word, how to talk to you. How to, how to minister to other people, that they would get on the practice floor and get going. And those of us that are engaged in ministry, that we would be training Timothys and not just the 20% hoarding 80% of the work, but inviting the rest of the church into this ministry, this beautiful ministry that you've called us to. Lord, it's about people. And there are so many people in our, in our community today and the world beyond that don't know the beautiful life and relationship with Jesus, the only thing that will satisfy. Make that the carrot that dangles before us. The, 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 what drives our heart, what, what drives our week is that we would go into this community, engage the lost, bring them into this loving community, and then equip them and empower them to go and do the same thing. We cannot do this without the foundation of Jesus Christ and his spirit in us. We need you for every breath that we take, everything that we do. That's why we come and we worship you this morning. And we worship together the Jesus that we follow. And it's in his beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.